All right, very good. Well, listen, we kind of want to continue the, uh, the thought that we had this morning um, with the mind. And so I'd like to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. Now, this is probably, my goodness, if you've been in church any at all, it's just a scripture that you know. And it's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And again, when you get there, you'll, you'll see exactly why it is and what it is. I've used it in deacon's ordinations. Um, I've used it on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. But it's just a real powerful uh, teaching. But today, as I was studying for this, and uh, actually this morning, um, then I saw it when I read the commentaries together, they just had a different, little bit of different approach. So I'm praying God will give us something fresh and new um, to take home with us tonight. Now, the theme that I want you, if you're ta- a note-taker on Sunday nights, what I want you to do is, because I, I want this to be so applicable to us tonight. So the application is this. What you know determines what you do. What you know determines what you do. One more time. What you know determines what you do. Now, you know I never tell jokes in the pulpit. But today, it just seems appropriate. All right? So, the story goes like this. There was a a man who fell madly in love with this lady. And, I mean, she was beautiful, talented. It was just a match made in heaven. But there's only one problem. She had a cat. And the guy, the guy just hated cats. I mean, he just had a deal. Because a lot of people are cat haters, you know. If you're a cat lover, I understand. But, but, you know, this guy just really hated cats. So he really didn't know what to do. So he went ahead and married the lady, hoping that he would gain some affection um, for the cat. Well, it didn't happen. The longer they were married, the worse it got. He just learned to truly despise the cat. So finally what happened was he decided the cat had to go. So one day while the wife wasn't home, he gets the cat in the car and he puts it in a croaker sack with a 10-pound rock. And he tosses it over the bridge into the river, smiles to himself, and goes home. And so he gets to the house, you know, it wasn't long before the cat, you know, is obviously missing. Oh, the wife is saying, oh, I just can't believe my cat's missing. And so the guy says this. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, to show my deep love for you, I'm going to offer a $5,000 reward for that cat. And so he puts posters up all over town. Missing cat, $5,000. And then he decided to play it up even more and got up to $10,000 reward. And so finally one of his buddies came up and said, Dude, you know, that's a lot of money. You know, aren't you kind of afraid that this could go south? And the cat would show up and he goes, Not if you knew what I knew. You think it's funny? Well, actually, she not knew what. So now you know for sure why I don't tell jokes from the pulpit. All right, okay. But 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 came back on track after that tragedy. All right, knowing you know what we know determines what we do. And so what we want to look at today, we're going to see three different things here. This thing is just so rich um, in truth. We're going to look first off at verse number one. And we're going to see the loving nature of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to move down, on down to verse number 6 through 9 and a little along the way. And we're going to see the saving nature of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to see the, a wonderful living application of Jesus Christ. Now look with me, please. Now again, understand we know the story. Let's not miss the importance of the truth for the familiarity with the Scripture. The Bible says in verse number 1, Now before, now, now just we're going to pause here. Now, before the feast of the Passover. Now, there's an article before that, before the feast. 
Now, you know, of course, the Passover goes way back to the time when the Israelites were freed from Egypt. You remember when you know, God instructed the Israelites, you're to take a lamb without blemish, a lamb without blemish. You're to take that lamb and you're to slay it and you're to take the blood and put it on the, on the lintel here and on the side post and the death angel is going to come. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over your house. The death angel would not touch that home. And so in faith, how are we saved? By faith. How are we saved? By grace. And so happened the people believed God and they slew these lambs and they put the blood over the lintel and over the side post. And sure enough, the death angel came through and no one, no firstborn in the children, the Israel ha- Israelite houses who put the blood on the doorpost, not one died. Not one. And God said, you're, to, you're only to do the Passover once, but you're to celebrate the Passover every year. So on through the thousands of years, they celebrated the Passover, uh, the fact when the death angel passed over and God set the people free from Egypt. And so now we have what beautiful timing with God. We have the Passover. And it's the Passover right before the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God. Jesus Christ himself is going to die on a Roman cross. So that is the timing that we have. Now, the, now, right before the feast of the Passover, when, here's our key word, knew. We're going to say it several times. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world and to the Father. You know, departing is always difficult in situations. But just remember this. The next time when your Christian loved one passes away, keep it in tenor with this. Notice I said Christian loved one. The departure here is difficult, but remember where they're going. They're going to the Father. Jesus is facing death on a Roman cross, and he's fixing to depart this world. And for him, that's cool because he's going back where he was, but still the mode of departure is so difficult. He's departing, but he's going back to the Father. And this hour, this time, the time of his passion had finally come. And then he says this, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let me read it one more time. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And somehow in my study of the times I've preached this message before, this scripture before, I've not seen this. But but the words, the end there, um, translate from the Greek to the limit, to the max. To the full effect. In other words, Jesus, the scripture is saying Jesus loved his disciples. Listen, listen, listen. In spite of their failures, in spite of their short, this all bless your heart. Because I don't know about you, we are, I am so imperfect. And the fact that God continues to love me in spite of my imperfections. Aren't you glad God didn't put some kind of a limit on you and say, you've got a scale of 1 to 100, but when you reach 95, you know, right now, I made a boo-boo of my, my, my data, Dave. You know, I've got 2 gig a month, and, and I accidentally turned on downloading of songs, and I had to look at my phone, and, man, like 1.5 gig went like that. And so I get this warning text. You've almost reached your limit. And I'm watching it. I'm at 1.6 now, because if you go over, you've got to pay. Yeah, you know how I am with money. You've you got to pay. Listen, aren't you glad? Come on now. Aren't you glad you don't get an email from God saying you've almost reached the limit of grace? You've almost reached the limit of forgiveness. Aren't you glad God doesn't send emails out like that? 
Amen? So, so Jesus, in spite of... In spite of you know, I believe Jesus even loved Judas. I mean, he loved Peter, the one who's going to deny him in just a few hours. He loved Thomas, the doubting one. He, he loved James and John, the sons of thunder, who had a real anger problem. He loved these men, and he loved them to the end. He loved them full extent. He loved them to the end of the limit, however and wherever that is. And he loves you the same way. You've got to take that home tonight. He loves you the very same way. Now, how he demonstrates this love is incredible. And I've never tied this together, but he loves them by what's fixing to happen in that upper room. Look at verse number two. So the Passover meal, the Passover supper is now being ended. And the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Pause. You know what a sad story that is? You know what's sad? There are people who will attend church every Sunday virtually of their lives and spend eternity in a place called hell because they missed grace and got religion. It's a sad story. I did for 21 years. And that's your testimony. Somewhere out here in these rooms are people who tell you, that's my story, Dwayne. I was this. I went to church all my life. I was baptized when I was six. Didn't understand a thing. I got wet. Didn't get saved. And later on in life, I met Jesus. Are there any testimonies? Amen. Amen. Room's full of them. And what's scary to me is there are people who are somehow counting on their goodness to win God's favor and get them to heaven. Judas was one of the twelve. Judas walked with Jesus and missed grace. Missed forgiveness. Hand in the till, the Bible says. Later betrayed Jesus, but walked with Him and missed it. I don't know who that's for, if anyone... Maybe you know someone tonight who's just feeling their heart, their, their lives are not backing up what they say they believe, and you're concerned for their soul. Pray that they might be saved. So the Bible says, verse 3, Jesus, and here's that knowing word, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and knowing that He had come from God, and knowing that He was going to God. Now remember, what you know determines how you act. What you know determines what you do. And the Bible says that Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into His hands. I think it means a couple of things. Both of them involve the sovereignty of God. I believe that God had given to the Christ, His Son, all authority and all power. And I also believe this, that it illustrates the total sovereign control of the, of the, of the effects of the acts of Calvary. All right, listen, it was not a plan B. It was not, oh no, we got to come up with an emergency plan for redemption. Before the foundation of the world was laid, before the first man, Adam, was made, there was a plan in God's heart for the redemption of fallen man. Come on now, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So, so God had put all things, He knew this. He knew all things had been placed in His hands by His Father. He knew that He had come from God. In other words, he knew who he was. He knew that he was the savior of the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. There was never a moment when Jesus woke up and said, what's my purpose? He knew what his purpose was. And his purpose was the redemption of men. He did not come for any other cause but to bleed and to die for the sins of mankind. 
He knew where he came from. And guess what? He knew he was going back. His resurrection, Mary, was never in doubt. He did not face the cross wondering if he really could take his body back up. He, he had given life to Lazarus. He had given life to others, but could he do it? He knew he could. He knew he could. He knew, he said, my life is mine to lay down and it's mine to take back up again. So because Jesus knew that his father placed all authority and power in his hand, because he knew that his father was in total sovereign control of the situation, because he knew where he was before he was born, and he knew he's going back there after his death and resurrection, he could do something. And you know what he did? He washed men's feet. Let that soak in. As I was studying today, that thought just overwhelmed me that here is, here is the man, in quotes, the God-man, that the Bible says, without him, nothing was made that was made. Without him, there was nothing, and he spoke and there was. Let that soak in. And that man, that God-man, is going to do something Incredible. Because the Bible says, verse 4, he, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, again, I think we got to be real careful to read symbolism into this. You certainly could. And we're going to just a little bit because I can't get past the reading. This is Holman Christian Standard, I believe. Now nah, it's probably New King James. Rose from supper and laid aside his garments. See, Jesus Christ laid aside all his glory in heaven and became a man. That's a good place for an amen. He left, don't get excited, Nita. He left the splendor of heaven. Uh-huh, that's a song. That's the song of gospel. He left the wonders and splendor of heaven. He laid aside the glory of heaven and became a man. He strapped on a human body that he lived in for 33 years. He became the God-man. He laid aside and he took a towel. And the towel that he speaks about is the garments of a slave. This is what a slave would wear to do what Jesus, the servant, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all, the one who spoke and it was, he lays that aside and takes on the garments of a servant. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, you know, Peter says that we are to be clothed with humility because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jesus willingly, humbly took on the clothing, the attire of a slave. Now, this is all important. You know why it's really important? Are you dying to know? Because he's fixing to tell you to do the same thing. That's why it's important. It's important not, not only because he did it, but because he commands you to do it and me to do it. Amen? All right, so, so he t- took a towel and he girds himself. And after that, he poured water. And again, there's could be some symbolism there. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, let's just pause there. In Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, a superior would never, 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 never wash an inferior's feet. In Roman culture, a superior 
would never, never, never wash an inferior's feet. In Greek culture, a superior would never, 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 never wash an inferior's feet. What Jesus is about to do never happened. It wasn't like, oh, by the way, did you hear Joe? He, Yeah, it's kind of weird, but Joe decided to wash his servant's feet. It never happened. It was so it was so outside the realm. And see, that's what I don't think we get. I don't think we understand. The, the deal where Jesus says, oh, listen, love one another because by loving one another, the world will know you're my disciples. And we want to go, no, Jesus, you got that wrong. They're going to know we're your disciples because we go to church a whole bunch. Or we dress right. Or we talk right. Or we watch this or don't watch that. That's how and Jesus said, no, 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 no. They're going to know it by your love. And they're going to know it by the way we serve others. Because he's fixing to tell us this. I mean, we, we're kind of like Peter. You know, when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, no, no. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. All you're thinking about are things of men. We just think sometimes we're like the Ford Motor Company, John. We think we've got a better idea. That, that our ideas are better than God's, and they're not. And they're not. So Jesus does something that simply in culture is never done. I want that to soak in. It's never done. The concept of a superior washing the feet of an inferior was so outside this world, it would grab people's attention. So he began to wash some a disciples' feet. No. No. Oh, come on! You're not. You are not going to tell me he got to Judas and washed his feet. You're not going to tell me that. Oh, come on now, Donna. Did you have some bad pizza before church? You're, you're going to tell me that the man who's going to deny? I tell you, I don't know the man and cursed. You're going to tell me that he's fixing to wash Peter's feet? You're going to tell me that, that the guy who says, I, I, I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger in his hand and my hand in his side. He's going to wash his feet. The fact that, that all of them, Judas and the 11 true disciples, all of them are going to run in a few hours, not weeks, not months, a few hours, they're all going to flee like chickens out of the coop. And he washes their feet? Whoa. I'm telling you it's important because he's fixing to tell you to do the same thing. He's fixing to tell you to do the same things. If you want a picture of grace, this is it. Not one of those men deserved, not the best disciple on his best day, not the worst disciple on his worst day, not one disciple deserved to have the Creator God wash their feet, and yet they all got their feet washed. And it was grace. See, we didn't deserve what God did for us either. And that's a good place for an amen. Does anybody here think you deserve salvation? Did you deserve Calvary? Did you deserve the atoning work of Jesus Christ? Did you deserve that? No, not one of us. We ain't that good. We ain't that good. And yet Jesus washes all their feet and then he wipes the towel with which he has been girded. 
So he takes his, his little servant towel there, full-blown in servant mode, and doing what never, 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 never happened in culture. It was extra-worldly. Verse number 6. So he came to Simon Peter. And Peter says to him, are you, Lord, are you washing my feet? Now, in the Greek, the you there is emphatic. And you tell me the inflection of his voice. It's like Peter was going, Lord, you're washing you, you of all, you are going to wash my feet. Have your people do that? You? You are going to? Uh, one of the contrary said, you, you know, to paraphrase, you know, what in the world are you doing? Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, look, Peter, verse 7, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will know after this. And once again, I kind of always thought the after this was the teaching time. It's the application time. It's the time after he gets done with all this, he goes, now, do you know what I've done to you and, and why I've done it and all this? And this is what you ought to do? It's not. There is so much deeper truth in this scripture. He's after this is after the death and resurrection because inside of verses number 8, 9, 10, 11 is a beautiful picture of our salvation. He's talking about after the day. He's talking about when he's when he talking about the, uh, when he talking about you shall never wash my feet. He says, if I don't wash you, it's the atonement. It's the washing of his blood. It's bigger even than the servant motif. It's bigger than the servant teaching. It's a picture of what he's going to do for us. So you don't understand this now, Peter, but you're going to. Just a few weeks, you'll really understand it. So Peter did say to him, you shall never wash my feet. Do you see how emphatic he is there? It's one of those times when Peter just misspeaks. You know, he's up on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. He wakes up. He'd been asleep. And there's Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And he goes, Lord, should we build a house? You know, sometimes when you don't know what to say, you say something kind of crazy. Well, well, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. You know, I think it's kind of funny. He was too humble to let Jesus wash his feet, but he wasn't too humble to give Jesus a command. Isn't that funny? Isn't that like us? One time we're Mr. Humility. Oh, you'll never wash my feet. And by the way, God, this is what you ought to do. We're always telling God what we think we deserve or ought to have done in our lives. And when Peter speaks like this, you shall never... It's just a picture, it's a portrait of, of unregenerate pride. I don't, Jesus, basically Peter said... It's not, it's not about he's the son of God. It's, not a, it's about you're not going to wash my feet. It's, it's Jesus, I don't need you to wash my feet. And it's like when we say to God, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't want you in this. It's the pride. Peter was missing the whole point just like we do in salvation. The world does. We miss our need. I mean... I thought little Dave did a good job this morning. I know that comment about ISIS just probably went all over everybody. And maybe when I restated it. But we don't understand how depraved we are. We are so... On our best day, listen. On our best day and our best behavior before Jesus, we were 100% totally separated from God. All our righteousness, all our righteousness are the rags that lepers would wrap their pussy sores in. That's you on your best day. That's me on my best day. 
We've got nothing to bring to the table. Didn't have on the day I met Jesus and don't have now. It's not like I got gooder at it. Oh, I'm a little gooder than I was. My daughter's not here. We'll use bad grammar. I'm a little good. No. I needed a Savior then. I need a Savior now. And I'm going to need a Savior tomorrow. Guarantee that. Guarantee that. So, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Well, Jesus answered and said this. If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. That's too big of a statement just talking about foot washing. And it is. It is. Guys a lot smarter than me picked right up on it, and I did too. There's, I said, God, there's something bigger than this. And then something bigger is, is when, when Christ washed us, it is not with a servant's towel and some water. It is with the precious spilt blood on Calvary's cross. Again, need a what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, so Jesus is saying, watch, if I don't wash you, if you have not been washed by me, you cannot be a part. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Without Jesus, there's no regeneration. Without Jesus, there's no salvation. Without no Jesus, there's eternal, no eternal life. Amen. It can't be. It won't be. No matter how much you go to church, no matter how good you count yourself, no matter how much money you give, if you're not washed by Christ, you're not washed. You're not washed. So if I don't wash you, you have no part. Peter, in classic style, goes overboard. and says, Simon Peter said to him, But Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And it's like Peter said, Well, if you put it that way, Jesus, I'm all in. Apparently, and I think you'll agree with me, by this time, Peter's a believer. He's already been all in. It's kind of like, well, you better just, listen, maybe the first time didn't take, let's just do it all over again. Don't, don't wash just my feet, wash my hands and my head. And this is, again, it's a beautiful portrait of how many times you need to get saved. That would be once. That'd be once. The folks that, that hold to a salvation that you can lose really have to stumble over the Word of God. Don't we do that a lot? Don't we do that a lot? Don't we just anchor to find, don't we hanker to find scriptures that will support a belief that we want to believe? I'm glad to report to you today that once a person has truly experienced the marvelous grace of God, once they authentically have turned from their sins and turned to follow Christ, and once they have authentically experienced God's grace, they are saved not until they stumble and fall enough, whatever that is, the next time they are saved for all eternity. Saved by His power divine. So, so, so Peter says, I'm all in then. Jesus said, no, no, you're all in. In fact, look what he says. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed, and that is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means once and for all. Once you've had one bath, Peter, that's all you need. But, but, but Jesus said to him, he who is bathed once and for all needs only to wash his feet. The word wash means a continual rinsing. In other words, yes, you, once you're saved, you're saved. It's a one-time deal. Once you get your bath, you've got your bath. But the truth is, we're not perfect after we're saved, are we? And we go back 
And some of my prayer time and some of your prayer time every, every day is saying, God, boy, yesterday I lost my temper. Um, God, yesterday I didn't forgive like I should have forgiven. Uh, God, I did this. And I think that's mainly it's a, a huge purpose of that is keeping the fellowship if, with God and I. To keep, keep that air clear between God and I. It's hugely important. Peter, you don't need to get a whole bath. You just need your feet washed. And, and you are, and he's only to wash his feet, but you're completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And who wasn't clean? Judas. For he knew who would betray him before he said, you're not all clean. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them. Now remember what I said? He took off his garments and girded himself in humility as a servant. It's a picture of the incarnation. Now it's a picture of receiving back his lordship, which will happen not before, before too long. Now he, he takes back his garments, symbolically, and sits down. When he got to heaven, he sat down. There's a gospel song about that too, Nita. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Come on now. King of kings and Lord of lords. So he sat down again. And he said, okay, do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what's happened in this room? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, because what is he? Teacher and Lord. So I am. Let me read it again. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Now let's pause there. So, when he, when he took off his robe and girded himself in a towel and put on the garments of humility, was he any less teacher and Lord? How about that? So, so what we do doesn't change what we are. See, some of us push back and we say, I would never do that. And it may be washing a toilet. It may be carrying the garbage out. It may be in your neighbor's yard. You don't even like the guy, but you mow it. I'll never do that. It, like it makes you some kind of a less of a person. Jesus was no less Savior, Teacher, and Lord when He was washing feet than when He sat back down at the table. We can serve others because it does not lessen what we are and who we are. Some of you need to forgive people. And you say, well, I won't forgive them because... He doesn't. That person's not determined who or what you are. Christ does that. Christ does that. So it says, you say, I'm teacher and Lord, and you're exactly right. I was teacher and Lord when I walked in this room. I was teacher and Lord when I took off my robe and I knelt down and washed your feet. And when I am teacher and Lord, when I got up and put my robe back on, I'm still teacher and Lord. So if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, here's where, if we're not careful, we'll miss something. Because again, there, there are people who will take the scriptures and, mm, yep, there you go. We need to have a foot washing service. Okay. You've got to understand the foot washing thing and him saying you ought to wash one another's feet 
It was culturally a part of their culture then. When you went to a person's house, someone washed your feet, or were supposed to. It was never the superior reaching down to an inferior. Never happened. But, but someone was going to wash your feet. It was a very applicable illustration. Is foot washing a part of our culture today? No. So we have a couple of choices. We can lay this teaching aside, or we can make it what it really is, an illustration. So what is it in our lives that we do that we can serve other people? How? What can we do? I mean, it may be, it may be going to a guy's house whose wife just died and polishing his shoes. It may be, I'll never forget, and I'll never forget when we first started doing the, the, the back-to-school thing. And Jim Lindsay, I don't mind telling you who it was. And Jim Lindsay took a towelette and took one of those little dirty feet in his hand and gently wiped away the dirt. It may be that. What I'm trying to tell you is, is Jesus is saying, when he's saying you ought to wash one another's feet, he's saying you ought, just like I serve you, you need to serve others. That's what the whole lesson is about. That's what I'm saying. When Jesus is saying this is so important because he's fixed to command you. And don't get hung up on that word ought. It wasn't like, well, if you feel like it. He is saying, listen, as I have if I have served you, you must, you must, if you're calling me your disciple, you must serve others. And culturally, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but, but you know what? I do know this. God has called us first and foremost to serve people. Now, what happens this? What happens when you have that neighbor that's pretty difficult? We could, we could be... The deacons know this might be difficult for me right now to say this. But we could be angry at them and want to lash out at them. But would that win them? No, because that's exactly what the world would do. And I figured it out. You don't win the world by acting like the world. But, but what if? What if that neighbor, you, you reached out in, in love, kindness, Compassion. Would that increase the chances? Go like this. That's the right answer. It would. It would. And that's what Jesus is teaching. The, the servant illustration is, is that in your culture, in your world, and guys, I don't know. It may be different when you're 500 feet underground. Ladies, it may be different when you're teaching at school. I don't know. I look at Blair and think parents. I bet you get some crazy parents. And there's the opportunity to serve them and love them in spite of their actions or to respond in kind. Jesus says, Christ followers. We are, and you know, don't, don't lose sight of this. How far is the cross? Hours. Do you think it's important what Christ is saying? Don't, don't you know when it comes time for you to die, if you are conscious, if you are conscious, don't you know you're going to be sharing some of the last thoughts you've got with your family? It's not going to be enjoyed the supper last night. It might be the closest and dearest things to your heart. Is it possible that our Lord is sharing the closest and dearest things to his heart before he dies? Yes. Yes. 
love others. John chapter 13. Be willing to serve others. John chapter 13. He closes like this. So, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. As I have served you tonight, you are to serve others. And by the way, as I have served you as unworthy as you might be, you are to serve others as unworthy as they might be. Most as surely I say to you, a servant is not greater than the master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent. See, service has nothing to do with position or rank. And then he says this. If you know these things, there's our word again. If you know these things, blessed are you if you think about it. If you say amen to the sermon, if you pick five out of ten people, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. If the word blessed in some context, in some situations means um, happy, happy is the man. If it means fulfilled, as it does in some of the translations in Scripture, if it means happy and fulfilled, is it possible that Jesus, the master teacher, is once again teaching us that we will find fulfillment when we're most like Christ and we're most like Christ when we love the unloving and serve those who don't deserve to be served? Is it just possible? And is it possible that's why we're not very happy or fulfilled? Wow. No doubt in our brains is there that Jesus was the master teacher. And with a towel in his hand and a basin of water and a slave's outfit on, he teaches us. He teaches us how to love. That you, love will go to any extent or any limit necessary to teach, to impact a life. He teaches us about salvation, that, that once we're bathed, you've got to be bathed. You've got to be bathed. But once we're bathed, we don't need to be rebathed and rebathed and rebathed and rebathed and rebathed. Maybe our feet washed, but we never have to have a total bath again. And he teaches us that in serving others, we are most Jesus said, one day, he said, you know, also in the book of John, if, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me. So, why don't we bow our heads right now? So, here's my question. Number one. Who is it that comes to your mind right now that you need to serve. It may be your wife. It may be your husband. Maybe a coworker. It may be a neighbor. It may be your children. And by the way, this just popped in my brain. I think it's safe. 
You know, sometimes it's hard to love our kids that we're making. Sometimes it's hard to serve. Uh, ladies, I, I'm so glad for you, and I'm glad I don't have your job because it's a hard one. You wash your husband's underwear, and he hardly ever says thank you. You cook every meal, and they hardly ever say thank you. Let this be an encouragement to you. Just remember that Jesus said, when you're serving them, you're serving like me. And I just wonder if that's one of those times we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. So who comes into your mind today that you need to serve? And they may not be worthy of your service. Who comes into your mind? And secondly, how can you? I appreciate Bill. what Bill said earlier. And I'm going to ask tonight as we pray. I think I did, but I think I'll let you sing for us. And we'll just keep our head bowed. So get ready for that. Um, you know, it's awful easy sometimes when I pray for the missionaries. God bless all the missionaries. God bless all the preachers. God bless all the people. I'm going to ask you tonight. When you think about, when you think about that person or that group of people, that five people that, that instantly come to your mind, these are ones I need to serve. And they may be some of the most unlikely candidates in your life. Now, I'm going to ask God to speak to us and show us how we can love them, how we can serve them in specific ways. What would make the greatest impact? And they may be lost. What would make the greatest impact on their lives? And then we'll close by saying, okay, God, Help us to go and help us to do. Help us to go and help us to do. Jesus, it's moments like this as after we've talked about your word. It just shouts how incredibly true it is. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring John to record these words so that Two millennia later, we can have this discussion tonight. And it's just like Jesus is kneeling before us. It's that real. It's that real. God, touch us. Touch us. Help us. Help us. Help us, God, to be as much like your son through the Holy Spirit, that we can be. God, help us lay aside the excuses. I'm sure it crossed the guy's mind. Someone should have washed the feet besides him, but no one did. God, help us to remove the excuses and serve and love. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. So keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Dave, we sing a couple verses for us.